Good morning, Mill City. So good to be together. Uh, for anybody who's maybe brand new with us, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. I also want to take a moment and welcome everybody joining us on live stream. Uh, happy to be with you. Let's give them a big warm welcome. We are in a series called Practice Scripture, and at the beginning of each one of these messages, uh, we're hearing a reading from the Old Testament, New Testament, and the Gospels. So we're going to hear that in just one moment. And just a reminder, if may, and, or if you're brand new with us today, um, if you would stand for the Gospel reading, the third reading. Good morning. My name is Pastor David Williams. I will be reading the Old Testament uh, from Psalms chapter 1. Uh, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way the sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in seasons, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. My name is Brenda Trejos, and I'm reading from the New Testament, James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Obedezcan el mensaje de Dios. Si lo escuchan, pero no lo obedecen, se engañan a sí mismos, y les pasará lo mismo que a quien se mira en un espejo. Tan pronto como se va, se olvida como era. Por el contrario, si ustedes ponen toda su atención en la palabra de Dios y la obedecen siempre, serán felices en todo lo que hagan. Porque la palabra de Dios es perfecta y los libera del pecado. Hi, my name is Will Peterson. I'll be reading Matthew um, 4, 1, 2, 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, is written, man shall not be dipped on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You may be seated. We make decisions every day. Dozens, hundreds maybe, maybe thousands even. But certainly there's large ones that we are more conscious about, maybe thinking about more often or in a bigger way. And we ask a lot of questions about those decisions. Can I afford it? Do I have the time? How does this impact my, my goals? What does this advance my career? How does this infect, affect my retirement? Not bad questions. But sometimes we, we forget the most important question, which is, how am I being formed? How will this decision form me? Because 
We are all being formed. There's no way around it. It's not neutral ground. It isn't, well, I'm not really into spiritual formation. We are all being spiritually formed in one way or another. And really the question is, who am I becoming? Am I becoming a person that's more joyful? Am I more gentle than I was a year ago? Do I live according to my impulses or have I become more self-controlled? Am I more patient? Really, do I look more like Jesus? These are the questions that we should be asking and thinking about as we make decisions in life. Because it is our goal to become more like Jesus. The primary goal of a follower of Jesus is to become like him. Throughout this year, we're in a set of series that are practice series. This is the practice scripture series, but for reminder's sake or for anybody who is maybe brand new with us, I'd love to make sure that we are on the same page with a definition for spiritual formation. This is our working definition. The process of being formed into the image of Christ. In other words, it's not just a one-time event. It is an ongoing, lifelong process of being formed into the image of Christ. In other words, into something particular. In community, not done in isolation. For the sake of our neighbors and nations. In other words, it is not just for our own feel-good. At the end of the day, the greatest purpose of our formation is the blessing and service to others. And today, as we're in this series, it's important that we say that there is no formation without the centrality of Scripture. Now, the Bible often gets a guilty glance, right? Oh, I should read that. Sometimes it gets a quick skim. Uh, Sometimes it is used as ammunition to win culture wars. And sometimes it's come to as duty, and it sounds a lot like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. The next day, wah, 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 wah. I know it's good. I'm sure there's some good information. I should probably remember this, but wah, it's a bit boring. It just is kind of there, but I'm just going to keep coming. Again, a working definition for all of us in this series. The Bible is a library of writings inspired by God, telling a unified story with Jesus at the center. Important that we come around that. We unpacked that in greater detail in the, a couple of weeks ago. I encourage you to pick up the last couple of messages if you've missed. But the fact that it is a unified story of cosmic redemption and restoration, Jesus being at the very center and the one that holds it all together. And this, my friends, this scripture, this collection of books and writings is meant to change us. It's not food for thought or a book to reinforce our desired way of life. Uh, Rich Velotis, one of our overseers and the pastor of New Life Fellowship in Queens, New York, said, Christians can read the Bible every day and still have our hearts firmly against the ways of the kingdom of God. Unless we read Scripture through the lens of the crucified Christ with others, our exegesis is dangerously subject to personal preferences and political allegiances. The very last book of the Bible is called Revelation, written by John. And there's a 
portion, this book is a, revel- is a revelation, a vision of what's happening, what the end is, what's going on. And in chapter 10, verse 11, he was right before that, in the couple of verses before that, he was asked to eat a scroll, the words of God. And he says, I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. I ta- it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. See, I think sometimes we just expect the Word of God to be honey on our tongue, when in fact it also should be sour and upset our stomach, because the truth and the words of God are disruptive. And I would like to suggest if Scripture doesn't disrupt us, we aren't reading Scripture honestly. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are the meek. I preached a message a year and a half ago on blessed are the meek, and I've still been thinking about that because I think, meek, what does it mean to be meek? Who's celebrated in our culture for being meek? Blessed are the meek, but we think blessed are the powerful, blessed are the successful, blessed are the flashy, blessed are the people on platforms, blessed are the celebrities, blessed are the people with the most followers, but blessed are the meek? That's disruptive. Love your enemies. That sounds really nice and sounds sweet like honey on the tongue, but if you ingest that, that is so disruptive. When was the last time you prayed for the person that you hate the most? You're like, I don't hate anybody. I bet that's not true. (laughs) You're not being honest. Or who hurt you last? Or pick up your cross and die daily. That is so disruptive. Because what we find in this book and we find in the words of Jesus and exemplified in the life of Jesus is a countercultural way of living. To say this is the way of life and to life. Scripture is a countercultural narrative. Jesus himself was disruptive. He disrupted the power structures of the day. He disrupted the religious systems of the day. He disrupted people's perspectives on what it means to live and be in relationship with God And the purpose, just in the same way that Jesus is revealed in the Scripture, Scripture is a means to an end. It is a means to transformation. It is a window into the reality of a profound way of being in Jesus. Because the goal is integration. As Brenda read just a moment ago, we don't want to just listen, we want to do We don't want to just be hearers. We want to be people that put it into action. At Biola University in California, there's a mural on one of the buildings. It's right here on the screen. And it is a big, huge mural of Jesus handing with the Bible, giving the Bible. That mural's wrong. It actually should be a big, huge, fat Bible with Jesus coming out of it. The Bible gives us Jesus. Jesus didn't give us the Bible, and Jesus gave us the Spirit. Now, the reason I say that is because we don't worship the Bible. It's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. We worship Jesus who's revealed through the Bible, who gives us life. And so the challenge for us is not only to not idolize the Bible, but also not just to read the the Bible informationally, 
Now, I, as I say that, I want to not, I want to make sure to, that you don't hear me dismissing the importance of the information found in the Bible. It is important that we understand what Jesus said, where he walked, what he did, what he was saying, what happened, how this story unfolds. It's the reason uh, I have, we have our boys read through the Bible in their, in their high school years. And we, as they read through the Bible, we want them to watch the Bible Project videos. If you're unfamiliar with them, highly, highly recommend Especially the ones that like give the little summary of the book of the Bible at the beginning. Because it gives an overview of the information as they're going through it. How does this fit with this? This is part of the story. But our cultural default is information and function. But the Bible is not just about information and function. It is not just about doing, but about being. And so the goal of this series is to cultivate a deeper sense of response in the core of our being, to read and listen at a heart and a soul level, not just at an intellectual level. Robert Mulholland Jr. in his book, Shaped by the Word, says our general mode of reading is to perceive the text as an object out there over which we have control. We control our approach to the text. We control our interaction with the text. We control the impact of the text upon our lives. This mode of reading is detrimental to the role of Scripture in spiritual formation. And if we look at the writings of Paul, we see so many letters as he's writing to these churches, and he wants them to understand what has happened and get the ideas of what Jesus did. Take Ephesians, for example, six chapters long. The first three chapters is a description of what Jesus did, how he went to the cross, and he not only rescued the world, defeated death, broke the power of sin, but he also broke down the walls of sibling rivalry and made us siblings and brought unity amongst people who are at war with one another, specifically in that day he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. But he doesn't stop there with like, this is a great thing to understand, and this is a great thing to believe, and this is a great thing to post on your Instagram account about. No, this is a great thing for you to live out, which is why chapters 4, 5, and 6 are, this is what Jesus and what he did on the cross looks like in your everyday life. This is what it looks like in how you treat your spouse. This is what it looks like in how you treat your employees or your employer. This is what it looks like in the ways you interact as a household. This is what it looks like when you grumble. And this is what it looks like when somebody offends you. This is how this works itself out in us. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. There's one word in that particular passage that I want to highlight to all of us, and it's the word dwell. Let the message of Christ dwell. That word dwell in the Greek is the word enoikeo, can we say that together? Enoikeo. All right, say it together. One, two, three. Enoikeo. Good job. And it means to fully occupy your habitation with the intent of influencing the outcome of your home. You ever rent an Airbnb or something and you go to the house and, and maybe, maybe you're like, you know, I, this isn't, if this is my house, I wouldn't this is not the right furniture, or I'd rearrange it a little this way, or I'd take that wall out. But you probably don't do those things. 
But if you buy a house, you own it and you move in. You're like, you know what, this wall, I don't like this wall. You know what, we need furniture here but not here. And so because you occupy it, you dwell in it, it's not just a rental. You are the owner. You move in, you rearrange, and you replace. Can God rearrange and replace the things in your heart and in your mind? Can God rearrange and replace your view of relationships? Can God rearrange and replace your view of your career and success? Can God move in and dwell, not like, oh, thanks for the Airbnb, thanks for letting me in for a week. Can he move in and rearrange your view on sexuality? Can he move in and rearrange and replace your view on how you spend your time or how you spend your money? Because we all have a view on what we do with those things or how those things work. Very reinforced in some way by our culture, reinforced by our families of origin, reinforced by so many different stories and so many different ways of defining the way that we're supposed to do that. But the scripture has a way and God communicates to us, this is the way that it looks to live and for this to be reality in your life. And the way that that happens is that he, the message of Jesus would dwell Take up occupancy, not for a week or a couple of weeks, not to move in and pay us a, a cleaning deposit, but to move in and tear walls down and rearrange and replace. So how do we get the scripture, the message of Jesus to dwell in us ritually? Thank you for asking good question. The answer is meditation. Now, some of you might be like, whoa, meditation, that sounds Eastern. New age, I don't know about that. There are different types of meditation. Oftentimes, Eastern meditation, the goal is detachment and emptiness, to empty yourself. But you know the goal of Christian meditation is attachment and fullness. Attachment to the living God and fullness of the Spirit and the life and the truth of God. And there are commands all throughout Scripture. Pastor David read Psalm 1 that we would meditate on God's law day and night. There's passages in the first several books of the Bible about write it on your foreheads. Like talk about them in the daytime as you're walking. Teach your kids. Why? So that you can call them to mind. So that you live it out. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, martyr during World War II, wrote in his book Life Together, just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they, they are said to you, Accept the word of Scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That is all. That is meditation. It's like a cow. What do they do? They chew their cud. Right? Sorry for the graphic illustration here, but it works. Right? They ingest it, digest it, regurgitate it, chew on it some more, digest it, regurgitate it four times. That is the most chewed, digested food on the planet. But that's how we're supposed to be with the Scripture. Ingest, digest, regurgitate, digest again. Why? So that it is worked into who we are. Nancy Lee DeMoss, in her book, A Place of Quiet Rest, says, As you read, pause frequently. Absorb the Word 
into your system by dwelling on it, pondering it, going over it again and again in your mind, considering it from many different angles until it becomes part of you. Now, some of you might be like, you know, Aaron, I just don't know if I can do that. I'm not wired that way, and I just don't really have the time, and my mind doesn't work that way. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Because what's worrying? Ingesting an idea, fear, what if? Digesting it, regurgitating it. Digesting again, over and over again. And so this is our weekly practice. To meditate, to, to ingest and digest and re-digest. Our weekly practice is to memorize and meditate on Psalm 23. And to meditate, it speci- meditate on it specifically as we're falling asleep every night. So on Monday, memorize Psalm 23, verse 1. You could probably do it right now with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Or I shall not want. Some of you might have memorized it that way. Some of you have memorized this already. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Tuesday, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And so on. Each day, meditate on the verse before and the verse of that particular day. By the end of the week, six verses, all six verses. My hope is this isn't just this week's thing, but this is a every day for maybe the rest of your life thing. I quote Psalm 23 to myself, meditate on it as I'm going to sleep every night. See, we're going... For depth, not breath. Memorization is not about regurgitation, it's about assimilation. It's about getting it into our bloodstream. It's about storing it up for retrieval. I mean, can you imagine if every one of us in this house was, had memorized and was meditating on Psalm 23 every night as we went to sleep? You know what I suggest would happen? The anxiety level would go down. Some of you college students, maybe you're brand new to school or you're coming back and, and, and you're finding yourself anxious about what's ahead or how it's going to go. What if you made this part of your practice this year? And I speak about this not out of theory, but out of personal experience. I've dealt with anxiety on and off throughout the last 11, 12 years. It was especially intense in the, in the year that we were planting this church. I would go to bed. It didn't matter really what time I went to bed, but I'd wake up 3, 4 o'clock in the morning with my heart racing, sometimes my fingers tingling, sometimes sweating, and just a cloud that I couldn't get out from under. Worry, what if? Night after night after night. Over the course of one year, I probably slept well four nights, which means that as I would go to sleep, as much as I wanted to sleep well, I also dreaded going to sleep. Because because as good as it was going to feel to fall asleep, I also knew what it felt like to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And so after a while of not really knowing what to do, I started to memorize and quote Psalm 23. And I'd love to be able to say, and then the next night I slept great, and it was the end of that. 
But that's not what happened. But there would be nights that I would, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me to quiet waters. You restore my soul. You refresh me. And God, I need refreshing. You guide me in the right paths for your namesake. And the next night, and the next night, and the next night. You know what happened? I didn't just know words on a page. I ended up meeting the shepherd in the middle of the night. And it wasn't about getting the Greek definition of refreshes. It was about in the middle of the night, 4.30 in the morning, desperately wanting to go to sleep and feeling the breath and the blowing of the breath of Almighty God into a weary soul. Experiencing and entering the Scripture and it entering me. And it's like this washing of life and truth over my heart, over my mind. Because it's not just a good idea. It's a, a life. And it impacts and it transforms and it changes and it replaces. And it replaces, I can't do this and I don't know how this is going to work out with. I am your shepherd. You don't lack anything. I've got you. I'll make you lie down in the right places. Will you let me? I will refresh your soul. The Battle of Gettysburg and the Civil War was a significant battle. Thousands and thousands of lives were lost. And after the battle was, after the battle finished, they went out to clean up the battlefield and they collected 25,574 guns. Guns in the Civil War were single shot, muzzle loaded, which means you loaded it, loaded one bullet in, and then you shot it, and then you'd have to reload, and that was a process. So that one shot was a significant shot. You don't want to waste it. You might not have time to load another one. They collected 25,574 guns. Of those 25,574 guns, 24,000 were still loaded. Meaning in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the fear, they didn't pull the trigger. Some of them were even double or triple loaded. I don't know if I shot it or whatever. I, gotta... I wonder sometimes when we find ourselves in chaos and in fear and in the upside down turvy, topsy-turviness of the world, when scripture is needed most, we forget to pull the trigger. And we find ourselves in the middle of the night. Or we find ourselves in a place where we're, we're upside down and things are coming at us and we've got the bullet. But it never gets fired. This is not ammunition for a culture war. But this is ammunition for a war over your soul. Against an enemy that would love to destroy you and a God who loves you and who wants to refresh your soul. I want to do one last thing here. Talked about meditation, 
memorization as part of that process. But I also want to give you another tool called Lectio Divina. Some of you are familiar with it, some of you aren't. Lectio Divina is actually a very popular, normal uh, thing done by the church in the first 1,500 years of the church, mostly because uh, there was no written word, there was no printing press, and so as a result, the vast majority of people heard the Bible orally. And so there was an oral way of hearing it and allowing to absorb it. There's four steps in Lectio Divina, which means divine reading. It's not just reading, it's listening. It's an interaction with the Scripture. There's four steps. The first one is to read it. The second one is to reflect. The third is to respond. Some people would say yield. I love that, but it messes up the R's. And number four is to rest. And ultimately then to live. And so we're going to do this together. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3, you're going to come up here on the screen. I'm going to read it slowly. If you would, some of you might want to close your eyes. Maybe you want to open your hands like this as a way of receiving the Scripture. I don't want you to analyze it. I don't want you to think, what does that mean? I just want you to hear it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. I'm going to read it again. This time, and it is on the screen. I want you to pay attention to any word or phrase that might kind of shimmer. Maybe somehow, like, catch your attention. Like, Hmm, just noticed it a little bit. Just kind of sticks out. Might be a word, might be a phrase, might be a verse, whatever. Just don't need to analyze why it shimmers or if it shimmers or how brightly it shimmers. Just let it be. I'm going to read it again. Pay attention to what maybe the Spirit is bringing to mind for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. As you just sit and take a moment to reflect, Maybe there's something that you can pray into. God, help me to know what that looks like. Help me to obey. What does that look like for me to do? But just allow it to absorb. We kind of respond in prayer, in offering, in surrender. Just take a few seconds to do that.
let it sit. And sometimes you might not feel much of anything. It's not about a feeling. See, it's, it's like, remember when you're maybe reading the Bible sometimes, and maybe it's one passage of Scripture, or maybe it's one passage in the next chapter and the next chapter, and it sounds like Charlie Brown, but sometimes I think we need to think about it like a jack-in-the-box, you know, but all of a sudden, especially if we can slow down and let the, speak, the Scripture speak to us and the Holy Spirit bring things to life and know that this is about encountering Jesus, that da, 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 bam, that the Jesus pops out. The Holy Spirit engages us. And we encounter Jesus, the living God, the one who can change us and the one who shapes us and the one who ministers to us and leads us and is the shepherd. And not, we're not just reading about a shepherd. We're talking about and reading the shepherd we know that has led us into a place of quiet waters and refreshing of soul. For some of you here today, maybe you're new to church or Maybe you've been away from church for a long time. And as I'm talking about this, there's something deep inside your soul that says, I long for that. I long for that deep rest. I long for that, that settledness of soul that I cannot seem to find in any aspect of this life. If that is you here today, can I encourage you to respond to an invitation? An invitation really from the Holy Spirit to enter into the story, to be led by the shepherd that offers and gives to us peace and joy and all the things and leads us in a life everlasting. Will you begin a relationship with that shepherd today into the way of life by saying, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you as the shepherd. I give you my life. not the only thing you need to say to the shepherd, but it is an amazing first thing to say to the shepherd in a journey of life, the process of transformation and growth. Wherever you find yourself here today, I just want to encourage each one of us, can we just open our hearts and our lives towards God in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. And you love us exactly as we are, exactly where we find ourselves. The mess, the brokenness, all the ways that we maybe somehow see the gaps between where we are and where we'd like to be or where we think you want us to be. But God, you meet us exactly where we are, but you also love us too much to leave us where we are. And so, Holy Spirit of God, we welcome your transforming presence. I pray that as we read the scriptures, maybe for the first time, or pick the Bible up for the first time in a long time. God, I pray that we would meet you by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would, that, that, that we would as we heard earlier, we would know that, that you are the bread of life, that you nourish us in the deepest places of who we are. We need you, Jesus. We need your work, Holy Spirit. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said... Amen.